Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore, where our mission is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Welcome back, podcast listeners. Andrew here, and with me, of course, is Dr. Tim Elmore. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I I can hardly wait for the next 12 months. I know. This is always an exciting time of year for me. I know the same thing happens to you, and probably many of our listeners, we get reflective and we get thoughtful, not only about our our kids that we're trying to empower and lead every day, but also about ourselves. Yeah. And we like to, we kind of have a tradition of taking these New Year podcasts and kind of pontificating on that, don't we? Yes, we do. So one of the ways we love to do this is to reflect back on how we grew over the last year to get context for how to grow into the next year. There's all kinds of ways to do that, you know, places we went and conversations we had and people we met. But of course, a natural one for both you and I, because we're learners, is the books we read. Yes. So do you want to share maybe both of us some of our favorite yeah, books? Yeah, why don't you kick us off? That'd be great. So um, this uh, list of books, I've got a couple, Tim's got a couple. Not all of them came out in 2023, at least not all of mine came out in 2023, yeah. but I read them in 2023 and they certain, certainly affected me. So the first one is one that probably many listeners would have read for me, but it was Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm-hmm. If you've not read that book, it's a fantastically very practical book, a, a way to kind of figure out and sort of hack your own brain and build better habits and remove some negative ones. But I just thought it was brilliant. It's amazing. Uh, one of mine this last year was The Canceling of the American Mind oh. by Greg, Greg Lukianoff. Now, Greg co-authored uh, the Coddling of the American Mind yep, with, great with book. Jonathan Haidt. Mm-hmm. We love that one. So I picked this one up. Sight unseen, I just grabbed it off of Amazon because I thought, I, I know I'm going to love this book. And indeed, I did. It's, it's all about, just like the title, how we tend to walk away from conflict and, or things we disagree with rather than saying, you know, what can I learn from it? Mm. So it's a, it's a great book. It's an important skill to have in the 21st century, especially. Um, uh, not to mention Jonathan Haidt. My next book is actually a book by Jonathan Haidt. It's actually from years ago, but I read it this past year. Brilliant. It's called The Righteous Mind. And it's basically understanding how we make decisions and about especially our subconscious decisions that we yeah. make um, and how much our moral framework affects that. It's a fascinating book, and I really enjoyed it, The Righteous Mind. The Elephant. And The Writer. The Writer. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, Another one of mine this past year that I really loved didn't just come out this last year, but the expanded version did. So the book is simply called Influence Mm. uh, by Robert Cialdini, and he is a professor and has been for years. So this original form of this book was the 1980s. Oh, wow. And it's just the fascinating things that influence human behavior. Yeah. How can we influence others if we do this or that? But um, the expanded version was just powerful. And of course, there's updated research. But if you're interested in what influences people, that book, Influence, is a good one. Good. Um, The final book I will mention is uh, one I really enjoyed. It's one of Malcolm Gladwell's latest called Talking to Strangers. And it's basically just about the uh, interactions between people who don't know each other very well and what we tend to assume about others. Mm -hmm. Um, Super helpful, super influential for me. And in particular, I listened to this as an audiobook. And it's sort of designed like a podcast, um, and that yeah. was really fun. So if you do read that one, I highly suggest the audiobook for that. He always makes you think, doesn't he? I know he does. 
Well, the last one we'll talk about, and I want to really go deeper on this one, Andrew, is, is a book I thoroughly enjoy, probably my favorite book of the year. It's called Build the Life You Want, and it's by Arthur Brooks and Oprah Winfrey. Wow. So, so if you don't know Arthur Brooks, I know you know Oprah. Um, Arthur is the most popular professor at Harvard University, mostly teaches grad students. But um, his class is on happiness, and this book isn't just on that, but it really is how do you choose how you live your life yeah, and how you feel and how you think, and you can choose them, and we'll talk about that. But this book, Build the Life You Want, I thought was a great way to kick off this year, to have a conversation about some of the nuggets that that I, I picked up in the book. Yeah. Well, you and I, I have not read the book yet. And so you're teaching me as you're teaching all of our listeners too. But you and I have talked about how influential this book has been on you. I think it's been kind of like an earworm that you keep coming yeah. back to <laughs> uh, in your head. And it's so inspirational, in fact, that we kind of named today's podcast after yeah. it. Yeah. The book is called Build the Life You Want. So the question we began to ask is, what would it look like to build the year you want? Yeah. And that's for us personally, but we also might learn some nuggets that we can apply to our students um, this year. So as we kick off this new year, let's talk about it. Yeah. Well, you already said we often uh, get much more reflective and intentional at the end or the beginning of a new year. Yeah. We love the word intentional around here. Um, There are people in our life who we've made intentional choices to befriend, literally saying, I want to be that person's friend. I had someone tell me this last year that I've known for 20 years. He said, I remember when I first met you, Tim, I thought, I want to be that guy's friend. And I thought, what a compliment that was. And yeah. I, nobody else says that to me. But anyway, um, we're going to encourage you listeners as you walk through this journey with us the next several minutes to really consider choosing, not just leaving things to chance, normal things that we never usually leave to chance, yeah. like who you meet, friends you meet, and that sort of thing, to really go after them purposefully. I think that degree of intentionality is going to help us, as we said, get the year we want and really transform it. Yeah. Uh, this whole concept that we're going to talk about today is a reminder that, that just what you said, that so much of building the kind of life we want, the kind of experiences we want, the kind of relationships we want happens in our little interactions with ourself mm-hmm. and with other people. Yeah. It's not just the big choices we make. Like I made 12 goals for myself this yeah. year. Those are great. But it also comes back to some of the little choices that, that we're going to talk yeah. about today too. In many ways, it, it goes back to that. These are not just New Year's resolutions that you set and check off. Yeah. They're standards you want to set for yourself to live out day in and day out, month in and month out. So Arthur Brooks in this book, really in the very, very, very beginning, basically would say, and I'm going to summarize his words, so this is my paraphrase, don't chase happiness in the new year. It's elusive and temporary and unhelpful if you have it all the time. Mm-hmm. We often talk to people, oh, I just want to be happy, just want my kids to be happy. Yeah. How many times have we heard that? But to enjoy satisfaction and contentment more often, uh, we have to make some decisions. And Brooks says, happiness is not the goal, mm-hmm. and unhappiness is not the enemy. I think you should say that again. Okay. Happiness is not the goal, as many mommies and daddies have said. <laughs> yeah. And unhappiness is not the enemy. Yeah. So as we begin a new year, this conversation will enable us to put our minds and hearts in the right place right here in January. Yeah. yeah. Uh, happiness feels like such an elusive idea, so yeah. I'm already intrigued. Let's dive in. Yeah. So most people view happiness as a positive emotion. Yeah. I think if you made people articulate what they believe, that, oh, yeah, it means I feel good. Yeah. I feel good about the day. I feel good about 
the week or, or my girlfriend or whatever. So we view it as a positive emotion. Without thinking, we may say, I wish I, wish I were happy all the time. But Arthur Brooks points out, negative emotions play a useful role mm, in our life. Now, yeah. we know that, but we don't really believe yeah. that. For example, disgust over an injustice may prompt you to take action. That's a good thing. Yeah. Fear over an unsafe situation may prompt a child to take wise steps to relocate. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yep. Uh, sadness may prompt you to apologize to a friend that you've estranged. And anger is often what causes leaders to take action steps and solve problems. Yeah. In other words, these emotions are not actually the problem that we're talking about. And if we were willing to admit that, that kind of begins to set us on a road to go, what really are we after uh, in the first place? Yeah. So Arthur Brooks is a PhD. He's very smart. He's a social scientist. And he he would encourage you, listeners, like we are today, you don't have to just take the emotion that you get. You can choose your emotion, but keep in mind that emotions are informants, not commanders. Mm. So you feel something for a reason. If I feel sad, there's probably a reason. And it's probably good to identify, why do I feel melancholy today? But then you can take action steps, maybe physically with your body and mind, but you can take emotion action steps and say, I'm going to choose a different emotion. And this book, as I read through it, I just thought, this is so good. In fact, my problem was I needed a highlighter that could highlight the entire page, all pages, <laughs> as I went through the book. Okay, yeah. so if you don't mind, Andrew, you're going to love this next part. I want to jump into the metaphor that Arthur Brooks shares at the beginning of the book that I thought, I'm using that. Okay. It's just so helpful. The metaphor is caffeine and adenosine. Okay. Now, I didn't know much about adenosine. I think I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it did. But he says caffeine and adenosine are great, great pictures of choosing your emotions, okay? So, Andrew, you know this because I know you. Caffeine is the most widely used drug in America. Do you want to confess any sins right now? I feel personally attacked by you uh-huh, right now, Tim uh-huh. Elmore. Well, it, it is worth saying <laughs> I do like coffee uh-huh. a whole, whole lot. Yeah. I would argue that that's mainly because of the taste, but I would also acknowledge that there's another thing going on okay. there. So, okay, yes. yeah, I'm, there's there's a... If I were to ask you if you would take the over or under on me having had three cups of coffee today. By 8 a.m.? No, no. Not quite 8 a.m., but not far from it either. How about that? Yeah. I do enjoy a cup of coffee. Andrew's philosophy of life is, I'll begin working when my caffeine does. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay, so back to the the subject here. So caffeine, we all all find some form of caffeine, whether it's cold caffeine, hot caffeine. We consume it in some form to wake up and get energized each day. Well, um, Arthur Brooks asked the question, do you ever wonder how it works? And it's very, very interesting. I did not know this. When it enters your body, it quickly competes with a chemical called adenosine. Mm. This chemical sends a signal to your brain and makes you feel tired and want to rest. So at the end of the day, adenosine is almost always kicking in saying, you need to go to bed or you need to rest or yeah. you need to relax. Sit after. down for a minute or whatever. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. That's the signal adenosine gives you. This chemical sends the signal to your brain, uh, and um, it's, a, it's a neuromodulator that increases late, late in the day, and it relays that it's time to rest, okay? So we've established that. Caffeine is the same size molecule as adenosine. 
And when caffeine enters, it plugs into the same receptor as adenosine so that that chemical can't do its work. Interesting. In fact, that's why you feel jittery if you have three cups of coffee. I've never done that, but you have three <laughs> cups of coffee. It's plugging, if I can use my words now, plugging the hole, you yeah. know, that adenosine would signal you're tired and it makes you feel I'm not tired. Mm. And if you drink too much, we've heard people say, I feel jittery. I, I feel a little, you know. Yeah. In fact, we talk too fast. Have you had too much caffeine? Yeah. So the truth of the matter is caffeine doesn't make you feel that way. It just simply stops adenosine. It's plugging into that receptor what adenosine would normally, yeah. normally So your do. body is feeling tired, but your brain is not able to receive that tired signal from the body to say, hey, you need to rest this body's been doing too much, yeah. right? So that caffeine basically is tricking you, more yeah, or less, that's exactly and telling right. you a story that isn't true about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You lose all fatigue, but it's not really – you maybe should feel fatigued right now yeah. because of what you just went through, okay? Yeah. So um, this is a metaphor for managing our emotions. Your feelings at any moment are produced to give you an effect, but emotions are meant to be informants, like I said, not commanders. Yeah. You don't have to accept any and all emotions as final authority. Rather, you can choose to substitute one for another, just like caffeine for adenosine, okay? Yeah, yeah. It kind of uses that, that same picture. Um, this supports what, uh, what I've said for years. Andrew, you've heard me say this ad nauseum on this podcast. Emotions make a marvelous servant, but a horrible master. They inform, but they should not control. Yeah. I think I grew up in a home where it wasn't awful, but we learned uh, don't let emotions rule, rule your life, you know, and, and you know, you, you need to make sure not let feelings rule your life. We have swung the pendulum to the other side, realizing we need to identify our emotions, and yes, we do, yeah. but they still shouldn't run our life. Yes. So, um, so anyway, the, the difference between feeling and, and running is, is key. So just like sometimes you want to exchange caffeine for adenosine in your system, sometimes you'll want to replace negative emotions with positive ones. And the good news is we actually can do that. This is something I wrote about in my book, Ready for Real Life, because I had read Dr. Adam Sands talk about this exact thing with students. And he said, students often, and I think many of us often in the 21st century, cannot separate the emotion from the action. Mm -hmm. So they think, I feel angry, therefore I'm going to act angry. And one of the things he said is if we can help them process and grow more self-aware, much the same way we need to practice this ourselves, we can go, I feel angry right now. What would be a positive way for me to handle that emotion? Right. And basically create some separation there and it feels in some ways like that's what you're talking about it is is to recognize that emotion if you feel that emotion that's okay yeah but that should send a signal to you to know okay why am i feeling this way what are healthy things to do to address this emotion that i'm feeling right now? precisely i had a pretty bad temper growing up Mm. um in fact my mom realized when I got control of it, she said, you know, I, I, Andrew, I actually put my fist through a wall. I just, Whoa. after, after yeah. a loss, a sports loss, <laughs> yeah, we won't go into You were a passionate young man. I was a passionate young man. Yes, I was. And I'm not proud of that, but I look back and I, exactly what you just said. If I feel angry, I need to express this anger. Yes. And that's not always true. Yeah. So here's our big challenge, listeners. Behavioral scientists tell us Humans have a little gift inside of them called negativity bias. Mm -hmm. I know you do not see this as a gift yet. Yeah. Keep listening. It's the tendency to focus on negative information far more than positive information. And the reason is simple. Compliments are nice, but nothing happens when we ignore them. 
we ignore criticism at our own peril, mm. right? Uh, a few thousand years ago, for instance, it might mean being cast out of your tribe. Even further back, cavemen ignoring negative signals of fear may have meant might have meant being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. That okay? does not sound good. No, no, it does not. We only know that, but but we are we only imagine that. So today, it could mean losing a job or whatever. Yeah. So Andrew, think real quick about the performance review with mm. a boss. Yeah. Okay, you now give them to team members, but your supervisor may seven or eight things that are really oh thank you thank you thank. You. But you walk away, he said that I'm no longer good at, yeah. you know, or whatever. And not only is that the one thing I remember, sometimes you can remember what somebody said about you in a performance review years That's later. That's right. Word for word. Yeah. And it's you may quite, overcome it. Yeah. It's yeah, amazing. It's very true. So this is what your brain naturally does. In fact, it's it's age. It's ages and ages and ages old, like mm. back when we had lives that were really scary and yeah. frightening and yeah you know, foreboding because death was at our door. So you needed that negativity bias. Today, we still have it, but we don't need it nearly enough. Mm. Today, life is much more comfortable and safe than it was millennia ago when people lived in huts and had to find and kill an animal to have a meal. And yet our brains are terrible at discriminating between negative information that's important and what's not. Mm. Okay. So think about social media for a minute. I, I was just thinking about that. Yes. Yeah. Somebody you don't even know says that that's horrible or whatever they say. We won't even repeat what they said. Yeah. You ought to be listening to your wife when she makes a comment, not a stranger out yeah. there in wherever land. But we do this. Yeah. It's because our negativity bias is there and we don't discern between what I need to listen to and what I don't need to listen to. Yeah. So this can be troublesome listeners for you, but also for those students you care about. It's almost like you could say we're more we're more drawn to and think about the negative comments of a stranger than the positive comments of somebody we know, yes, love, and care that's about. It's a friend or wife or husband. Yeah. Yeah. We can get equally annoyed at strangers and friends who criticize us on social media or whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> and this is the thought that came to my mind. I can be sitting in first class because of all the miles I've accumulated on Delta Airlines. And this coffee is not really hot enough. I need to stop and wait. I'm, I'm in a tube flying yeah. across the country. <laughs> I've got all the amenities I need, snacks. Yes. So many positives. And, and the coffee isn't quite hot enough. <laughs> That's the negative. We And it, don't you feel foolish when you come to grips with what yeah. you're thinking in yeah. the moment? Yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Okay. And often we, when we see that happen in other people, we call it entitlement, right? Yeah. You've got all these great things, and all you're talking about is what you don't have here, right? It's uh, true. And it is true. That's a certain definition of it. But we've got to know where that comes from, and yeah. that's why I love thinking about it. Yeah, this. and this is why so many people that are from very affluent backgrounds are discontent. It's because of that negativity bias. They've lost perspective. So the rest of our conversation, we want to really tune into what do we do about this? Yeah. As always, we're going to get to some solutions. Before we get there, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive in. Hey guys, Andrew here. I'd like to talk to you about our curriculum, Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. Growing up in a post-pandemic world means that many students today are facing new challenges and often don't have the social and emotional skills to handle it all. When students possess skills like self-awareness, impulse control, empathy, teamwork, and responsible decision-making, they're prepared to not only survive, but succeed inside and outside of the classroom. 
Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning comes in both middle school and high school versions and presents a fun, image-based pedagogy designed to delight and challenge your students. Find out more about how you can get Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning to your school by going to growingleaders.com SEL. Okay, listeners, welcome back. Tim, we were just talking about some of the negativity bias that we have, the challenge that, that it comes to uh, when we're trying to connect with and figure out what to do with our emotions. You've got some suggestions for us, uh, so let's dive into those. So it begins, as I alluded earlier, to making a choice. It's us taking back control of our, I shouldn't say control, nobody's in full control, but really uh, operating in self-control, Yeah. not being a slave to the emotions, the feelings, the bad situations or circumstances. So let's talk about making a choice. The single best way to grasp the reality of good things in life and to turn down the noise that makes real threats hard to distinguish from petty ones is to occupy some negative emotional receptors with a different positive one. So we're going to talk about that caffeine adenosine thing again, okay? According to Arthur Brooks, he, he really talks heavily about two choices, okay? So one choice will not shock you. We've talked about it this before on this podcast. But the most effective choice or switch you can make is gratitude. Mm. Gratitude isn't a feeling. It's a choice you make. Because even if you think, I don't have as much as my neighbor does over there, you got something. Yeah. And you can be grateful for what you have. So many see gratitude only as a reaction to something good that happens. Um, and if this is how you live, listeners, you can become a slave to your circumstances. And so can I. We argue gratitude should not be a feeling that materializes in response to your circumstances, but rather a life practice. Even now, you feel you have a little, you, you, you may feel you, you have little to be grateful for. You should engage in that little and choose to look at, at that. You have the power to choose your emotions. You don't have to submit to them. And further, you can choose gratitude in nearly every situation. Mm -hmm. So let's share some um, research that might be uh, intriguing to you like it was to me. In 2018, four psychologists randomly split a sample of 153 people into two groups. They were assigned either to remember something they were grateful for or to think about something completely unrelated. So that was the control group. The result was amazing. The Grateful Remembering group experiences more than five times as much positive emotion or happiness as the control group. Interesting. Just yeah. by thinking about yes. something that yeah. I'm thinking. Nothing for. changed except between the ears. Yeah. Okay. Behavioral scientists explain why. Gratitude stimulates the medial prefrontal cortex of our brain, part of the brain's reward circuit. So when you think about something you're grateful for, it's like you're getting that reward again. Mm -hmm. In fact, you have a stronger emotion when you hear your boss say you're getting a raise than the actual day the check arrives and you got the raise. Huh. Because that thought is just as real as the reality. Yeah. And you're lingering on it for the first time. Yeah. And you're telling Anna, good news, baby. Yeah. We got a raise. Yeah. So this is just so powerful to know how our brains work and how our minds work. So this, this research from these behavioral scientists found that gratitude can make us more resilient. You can imagine why. I'm focused on the right thing. Yeah. It can enhance relationships and bolster friendships. You can imagine why. Yeah. I'm talking to Angelica or Melissa and thinking about how grateful I am. That makes me interact better, yeah. a little more positive, a little more cheerful. 
It can create family bonds that endure crisis. Didn't we find that at Christmas and Thanksgiving this past year? Absolutely. And then it can strengthen romantic ties with a spouse or partner. Again, it's hard to overestimate the power of gratitude. And I know you all know this, but what if this year we just said, I'm going to replace that negative emotion and not be in control or, or under that it's control. I'm going to choose gratitude. Yeah. It's such a powerful reminder of how in control we actually are over yeah. our feelings. Yeah. Because it is so easy, especially when you're busy and got so much stuff going on the holidays. and know everybody's thinking um, about all the things that they've uh, got to do as they step into the new year. It can be so easy to just get lost in yeah. all of that stuff. But if we can stop even for a minute and think, wow, how cool is it? that yeah. fill in the blank, whatever yeah. that thing is. It's true. It had, can have such a positive reaction. Yeah, that's so true. So in addition to this research I just shared, gratitude has been shown to improve health indicators such as blood pressure and diet. Um, and this research was published by the Journal of Psychosomatic Research in 2020. Uh, in fact, 2,000 years ago, Cicero said, gratitude is not only the greatest, but also the parent of all other virtues. That's how powerful he is. And I really think I believe the same thing. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking out loud, but there's a lot of great positive emotions. But when I'm grateful and I choose to be grateful, it just seems to be like the tide. It just lifts all the boats up yeah. you know, in my life. So choosing gratitude over negative emotions makes us flat out better human beings. It's been shown to make us more generous with others, more patient with others, and less materialistic. Mm. Okay. Now, that is choice number one. Okay. The second choice Arthur Brooks talks about, and this is going to make you laugh, literally, it's choosing to insert humor and laughter into your life. Yeah. He actually talks about that as if it's a virtue. Now, personally, I agree. I think <laughs> laughter is a virtue. My mother is that why you're that. making jokes all Th the that's time? That's right. All the time. Yeah. So um, he suggests that we welcome humor and insert humor if even if it's not around you make it up or look up look it up in, in a book that you know is funny or a magazine or or get with a funny person patrick comes to mind right now on our team <laughs> he is always texting us goofy stupid bad dad jokes you know if nothing else he and certainly is doing yes, that. yes he is yes. i don't know how you respond but i i go oh my gosh this is this is great you I, know i find about one in ten genuinely <laughs> hilarious but I will say, even on the ones that I'm like, yeah. that's the dumbest joke yeah, I've ever yeah. heard, I, I think exactly what you think. I am yeah. so glad that yeah. I am surrounded by people yeah. who experience life in a lighthearted way. That's, that's, how I, that's yeah. my uh, immediate reaction. Yeah. I'm, see, I think that's in one sense going, okay, I see the benefit of this ridiculous joke. Yes, exactly. Enjoying laughter relieves suffering. It's been proven to relieve suffering. Your brain won't buy it if you try to convince that all is well and you're cheerful. But humor can be inserted just as you know into that receptor just like caffeine yeah where you're going okay if i'm going to laugh it's just like cheerfulness mm -hmm. that's what i want you to capture listeners laughter works just like cheerfulness it kind of makes you at least for a moment cheerful in that moment yeah so so let's talk about the research behind this one researchers in 2010 so well over a decade ago uh, did a study on two older groups of people so these are people over 60 years old one was a control group and the other received what they called humor therapy. Okay, I would I, like some of that. I, I would. I would too. So at the beginning of the study, both reported similar levels of happiness. It was self-reporting, but they both said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of happy." Okay. At the end, the group that received humor therapy 
were 42% happier than they were at the beginning and 35% happier than the other group. Uh, and, and, and they also included uh, or enjoyed decreases in pain and loneliness. Fascinating. Yeah. So I think of the proverb, laughter doeth good like medicine. You yeah. Know, just, just a great one. So, Andrew, as we kind of begin to wrap this thing up, there's three uh, action steps that I am now employing in my life that I think help me with this caffeine adenosine metaphor and this choosing to go into 2024 with the right mindset. So you might call this the ABCs nice. um, of a great year, of a year being happier. And this actually was developed first by psychologist Dr. Chris Thurman. Um, he, offered, he authored a book years ago that I absolutely love, top 10 book uh, in my life called The Lies We Believe. So here are his ABCs. The letter A reminds me, when I'm feeling a little down or negative or melancholy, acknowledge. Acknowledge the emotion that you're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. I think you got to you got to nail it first yep. and say, what is this? And then, and then why? So this is the detection step. Um, you even talked earlier about how you might feel a certain way, and, it, and you, you have to stop and say, yes. what's going on? Recognize. Yeah, yeah that's right. Sudden. I do this quite often, and I'm usually, like 90% of the time, able to put my finger on I know why I'm feeling this way, because yeah. that happened today. Yep. Well, was that the end of the world? Not, not even close. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so acknowledge is the detection step. B believe. Uh, what is it I really believe about this situation? Mm. And then how can I change that belief? Okay. So after you've acknowledged it, I'm feeling melancholy and I think it's uh, such and such happened or didn't happen. Now you're saying, what do I really believe about this? Well, I'm probably believing way too much. I'm probably hyperbolic in my emotions. Like yeah. this is the end of the world. No, it's not. It's not even the end of the day. It's not even <laughs> the end of the hour, you know, and you can make it right now, now yeah. that you know it's there. But we just get sucked into being slaves to this. Yeah. So that's it. Acknowledge is A. B is believe. The letter C, choose. And that's what we've been talking about this entire time. Make a choice on where you're going to focus your attention. And that's the decision step. So listeners, it's the detection, reaction, and then decision. And um, so, Andrew, I'd like to leave him with a homework assignment. (laughs) That sounds fun. Let's do it. Yeah. You listen to a podcast for an assignment, don't you, listen? Yeah, that's why. So contemplate, this, this, this came right from the book, and I think it's brilliant. In fact, I did it the night that I read this. Contemplate for a moment your own death. You are just full of cheer on this <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> but, but let me keep going. Okay? okay, let's do it. Seriously, contemplate your own death. Whenever it happens, it doesn't have to be tomorrow, but whenever it happens. Researchers found in 2011 that when people vividly imagine their own demise— their sense of gratitude increased by 11% on average right away. Wow. Some even more. It gives you perspective. You see, researchers rarely see this kind of bump in a single intervention, like imagine your death. So even if you're having trouble mustering gratitude, dedicate a few minutes to thinking about all the ways you might perish. And when you don't actually die, you feel kind of grateful. I'm yeah. still here. I mean, we just talked about Christmas and Thanksgiving that's behind us now. But even at that bad family gathering, well, at least you're alive to be there I know. and enjoy the turkey. Yeah. So um, here's the assignment um, Arthur gives us in the book. On, on every Sunday night, jot down five items for which you're genuinely grateful. It shouldn't be hard. Yeah. Okay? So this is Sunday night. And then each day or night the next week, pull out that list and look at it for five minutes. And then the next Sunday, 
you update your list, adding one or two more items to that list. Oh. He says, and by the way, Arthur Brooks admits, I'm not generally a happy man. I mean, I have a lot of negativity bias. I'm a little bit melancholy. He said, this has absolutely transformed my year. Wow. And that's what we're wanting for our listeners. I love this. I love this. It's the simple things that we can do that can totally change things. Okay, Tim, so I want you to wrap up. I, I appreciate so much about uh, all the things that you've shared with us, but I know uh, we love to close with a story or yeah. an example of this, and there's actually one that comes from the book that you mentioned, and I'd yeah. love to hear it. Right in the beginning of the book, Arthur Brooks talks about his mother-in-law who recently passed away. Um, he was Arthur became very curious about this whole concept we've been talking about when he observed the transformation in her life. Her name is Albina. Um, she died in Spain, and, and she was in her 90s. But she moved from a woman deeply affected by the adversities of her life. She had reinvented herself as an independent, happy woman. She'd grown up during the brutal Spanish Civil War and had faced immense hardship when her husband had left her and her children. So she's not only a single mom now trying to raise kids all alone. She didn't have any income. Yeah. And he's leaving her with no alimony. A very, very, very real yeah. circumstance. It, of course, would create negative emotion, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she was already a touch negative. This was thrown on top of her. But one day, a realization dawned on her. She possessed the power to change her reactions to her situation. Yeah. This led her to take control of her life, pursue an education. She got a degree late in life, carving out a fulfilling career and building meaningful relationships. And the metamorphosis of Albina from a victim of circumstances to a woman of control just fascinating, Arthur. He said when she passed away, she was on her deathbed, that just the happiest person, talking about all that she was grateful for, talking about that painting on the wall that she loved. And he was thinking, how did you do this? And this book is about how she did it. So mm -hmm. listeners, I just want to encourage you as we end up here, think through how could you say, I'm not at the mercies of my circumstances or feelings this next year. I can choose what I want to, what I want to feel and what I want to believe. This is such a great conversation, Tim. Thank you so much for taking us down this path. If you're um, listening to this and thinking, I might need this book in my life, uh, the book is, again, called Build the Life You Want. It's by Arthur Brooks and Oprah Winfrey, in yeah, fact. that's right. Um, and you can go buy it on Amazon. We get no kickbacks from this whatsoever. Right. <laughs> We're just encouraging you to read things that will uh, powerfully impact your life. Uh, it may also... Uh, strike you that, hey, this is a really great thing for me. I'd also, I'm thinking of a few students. I would <laughs> like to help them begin to do some of this. They're thinking negatively, and I think they can make better choices. Uh, if you're looking for a program or a tool that you can utilize in order to have these kinds of conversations with students, particularly in helping them with their own self-awareness and with their own uh, decision-making ability, we have a great tool in our program Habitudes. If you're not familiar with Habitudes, they're simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. So we use pictures, stories, and metaphors to change students' perspectives on themselves and their, their lives. So if you want to find out more in particular about our Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning program, which we have available for middle school and high school students, head on over to growingleaders.com SEL and you'll find out more about that program. It's a great tool for you to be able to have these kinds of conversations with the kids around you. 
Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. If you found this helpful and you thought of somebody who might also find it helpful too, please share it with them. We would appreciate that. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, maybe other books we should read or people we should interview or subjects we should cover, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you once again for challenging us in this new year. Uh, All of our listeners go out and build the life you want, and we'll see you next time.